Hello and welcome back to another TDAP episode. We are back. Finally. Finally. We appreciate all your uh, patience. Uh, just chilling out, waiting for us to uh, come back around. But uh, yeah. We're back, guys. We're chilling. Oh, yeah. uh, we're in book seven, if you guys are following along. We just read chapters 11 through 17 for this section. And I won't lie, I read them about three weeks ago, so they're a little bit blurry, but my notes are kind of decent, so maybe I know what I'm talking about. But yeah, we'll just kind of go with it, go with the flow. We will find out, yeah. Apologies, the delay was entirely on me. Um, oh, things no, have been... no, no, no. delay. Was it a combo delay? I forgot I the schedule. No, I forgot the schedule, because I, oh, okay. I, I scheduled it like a week ago, we should. We would have been fine, but I kept on being like, oh, crap, Fair. my name's here. Yo, you got a key recorded in the next day and a half, maybe? <laughs> nope, sounds about right. Fair. This is a combined effort to do nothing, which is better than my personal effort to do nothing at this time of year anyway. Yeah, I'm um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I just bitched about this to you earlier, too. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm like, in, every, in, in the broad scheme of things, everything's going great. I'm, I'm very good, and I hope that is the case with all of you uh, tuning in. I know I personally, uh, especially in the midst of finals that are going on um, with me right now, I have had no motivation whatsoever. Somebody stole it from me. Um, I don't know if that's also the case just across the board or specifically with college students, but my my easy-ass job and my easy-ass life has led me to be severely unmotivated about easy-ass things. <laughs> <laughs> Which is embarrassing, but depressingly true. <laughs> Hey, Aside from do, that, though, we're all... We all lose motivation during the holidays. It's just kind of the way it goes. Yeah. yeah. Today, so. to just show you guys know, today, we had the kids get to sit on Santa's lap and take photos with Santa at work today. So there's Wait, a whole bar? bunch... Well, it's a country club, so like... Okay. okay. Right? So it's not just like the bar, gotcha. right? So like... I was there all day with screaming kids around. It was just oh no, fantastic. Oh, that sucks. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> Surprised no one's six feet under. And in case y'all didn't know, both Chip and I are ardently not fans of children. <laughs> yeah, we. I, I know personally. I could say I'm on the brink or the edge of despise. Maybe. Uh, I don't hate children. I just I, I feel bad about how annoying I find them. Yeah, literally today, one kid started, like, crying, and I just stared in one direction and just waited for them to stop because I didn't want to, like, because I, I felt that if I moved, I would just punch somebody. That's almost how I felt like, because they already dealt with enough of it, and when they started crying, I was just like, I swear, if anyone's near me, I'm just going to start punching you, and I don't care who you are. So, I just didn't move. I would certainly have different reserves about the <laughs> disposition There's a reason I work in a bar, guys. Oh, no, absolutely. Yes. Because kids aren't allowed. Now, it's younger kids. You know, like, I'll yeah, say like totally. 10, maybe 11 and up. They're fine. Usually. Right? Fair. I can deal with teenagers. That's fine. But like, under 10, get that shit out of here. I'm glad you find them cute and loving and adorable, but yeah, no, you ain't gonna find me babysitting nobody. <laughs> I'm good with kids. I just don't like them. Oh, I'm great with kids. 
Ironically. <laughs> like, I have, like, not babies, per se, or toddlers, but, like, kids, I'm yeah. really good with. But, nope. One of my friends uh, is, is or has a uh, a niece and a nephew now, and I was over at their place, and they were telling me, <laughs> you want to hold them? I'm like, fuck no, <laughs> I don't. <laughs> Sorry, no respect to your decent nephew. I no, I don't want to hold went, him. I, I don't. The, I went down to see my brother and his his baby. And like, you oh, that's right. How him? how old is his baby? She was born in June. So oh, okay, nice. Months, right? Yeah. She she was. They're like, you want to hold her? I was like, yeah, I'm good. They're like, no, you got to hold her. I was like, I'm I'm good. I'm, I'm, and they're like, here, hold her. And they just shoved her in my. I was like, okay, fine. I was like, but I mean, starting, I mean, she, nobody. Like, if she wakes up, you're getting her right back. <laughs> I mean, nobody, no offense, none, none to the parents of those children, none of that whatsoever. Just, just not, not my style. Nope. Yeah, no, that was particularly painful for Chip. The uh, Santa Day at the yeah, at the it was not club. ideal, guys, not ideal. But um, here we are, uh, back again on the oh, podcast. Yeah. We're doing great. Otherwise, life is pretty good. Life's not too yeah. bad. Funny story, guys. So I got a ticket. I got a speedy ticket. Um, it was a pretty good one, too, guys. I mean, I got a. The wonders never cease. I was actually going to make guys. It was a pretty good one. It was 90 and a 60. Okay. Um, not too bad. But as soon as I passed the state trooper, I knew. I looked down. I was like, well, shit. I just pulled right on over. Not even going to try. And like, nope. I'm just going to beg. Nope. That's. What, that's what road were you on? 15501. 5501. They've taken you on 15501. I pulled over for them, so yeah. <laughs> I love how that's the distinction. <laughs> Am I wrong? No, they usually. That? No, I mean, they usually leave people alone on 15501. It's also. Im- yeah, but it's also, like, impossible to. Like, get. Oh, gotcha. Okay, that makes more sense. Yeah. Like, during the day, it's impossible to go over 30 on 15501. If you're abiding by loss, which I know you don't. I abide by all the laws, guys. There was that one time I just went a little bit faster than the speed limit. That's all. The one time. That's it. Otherwise, I definitely little, go to speed limit. A little bit being 30 miles. In first gear. Over. At least it wasn't in that truck. That's it what? At least it wasn't in that fucking truck. Oh, yeah. Uh, but yeah. So that I don't was know. Five. I feel like if you if you went over 70 with that truck, it'd just fall apart. Like, the wheels would just come off. Dude, I swear. I tried to take that truck at 95. It literally shut off on me. Like, yeah, 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 I remember it, that. It just shut right up. Yeah. Where's the Honda? I think it was a Honda. You were saying that I could just bump it and it would just start up. Oh, yeah, yeah. You hit that thing with a football and it started. Yeah. Good cars, man. Good vehicles. No. Most decidedly not. Hey, you gotta live and learn. But I don't think living and learning has anything to do with the type of car you're driving. I think it more has to do with the state of your wallet. <laughs> okay, yes. But the state of my wallet was always going to the truck, no matter what I was doing. Fair. But it kept okay. me. We should. <laughs> we should probably start talking about the. Yeah, let's start talking about. The yeah, 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 yeah. Back to it. I know it's been a couple of weeks. Three weeks, I think. Uh, we we left off right. They agreed that they're gonna go and deal. Well, the whole point is the whole. Like, the start of the book is the Scandians are raiding, and when they raid this one area with Eric, because he wanted to do one last raid before he, like, took the whole Oprah to, like, seriousness, right? 
He did one last trade. They take him as capture and ransom. And so now the Scandians have to leave, and they go to go find Will, Hulse, and the whole Aralloan people to help them get uh, Eric out. Uh, the whole point is King Duncan's unable to go in the royal position to make the agreement and make the trade uh, or a, a treaty of anything. Uh, so they had a little bit of a, I won't say argument, but a little bit of a conversation uh, about yeah. uh, whether or not Cassandra can go. Uh, and she does get to. Um, and that's where we kind of left off. Everyone is in agreement that Cassandra's fit for the job and who is going and who's not going. Um, so yeah, chapter 11, it's kind of follow along with that little bit right there. We just kind of wrap that little section up of who's going and when we're good to go. Uh, everyone is along for the ride. The Scandian's on the horse and they get on the ship. Uh, and they talk about how these horses are transported from like the ground to the ship. And I didn't really honestly think that Scandians would have, have ever done it. But I guess it makes sense they would have. Like, just taken, like, you know, stray horses or horses on the wild. Just, just yeah. Back. Uh, now, I love how they say that they take them and they look and they, they mention how Holt borrowed horses. I love how they kind of bring that back up about the whole when Holt decided to borrow the Timmy Jai's horses and bring them back for his yeah. own as a ranger horse. Uh, I just like it's how. It's been a while since we referenced that. We got that back in, you know, book three and four. I know, and I'm uh, glad they brought it yeah. back. I'm glad that it's there. I'm glad that we aren't losing storyline and uh, what's going on and who, and like the stories of others and stuff. I, I just enjoy it. I think it's really wholesome that Flanagan wraps around and brings it back to everything, also. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to say. It's not overthinking, but it might be overthinking. Whenever someone promises something, especially in like books or cinematic things, it's just such a like for me. It's just like immediately that's not gonna like your that promise is gonna be broken, right? So the whole thing about yeah. not being hurt in this adventure and in this task, I find bullshit because one, they're having to go negotiate, and two, it's just it, it's a promise in a book. Come on, like that's just not the way it's gonna go. Fair. The trope is usually, especially when they put like so much emphasis on it. I think. Uh, did you ever read the Percy Jackson the sequel series? It was a Heroes of Olympus. No, I never. I only read. Actually, I don't think I ever even actually finished Percy Jackson the actual. Like, really. The book. But yeah, dude, you should totally go through those. Yeah, I know. I should go through a lot. Of classics. Uh, that's fair. Um, Percy Jackson. That's like a baseline, though. Um, yeah, Harry Potter's but, mine. That's fair. That's fair. Um, anyway, there's uh, in, in the Heroes of Olympus, there's one line of a prophecy specifically that is an oath to keep with a final breath. Um, and then you just like throughout the five books, it's like all these characters are make, like making promises, and every time they remember that line, it's dramatized even more there. It's a common trope in like in, in a lot of stories. Um, but no, that's fair. That's fair. The, the leeriness about the promises is definitely interesting. Yeah, so I'm kind of curious. I'm kind of cautious. I don't think that's going to be kept, right? Um, but they're on their way, right? They agree that Cass is going to be Evelyn again, uh, and they're on their way into Chapter Twelve. Uh, we see again that you know Holt uh, is very seasick, uh, loving the ride, and the Scandians are not giving him any shit or giving him any leeway because he gave them no leeway about riding horses. Yep. And I don't blame him. I think it's very comical one but two it's also just you know it shows that like 
they're both on the same side, right? Like, it did, like to rat on each other, like, and kind of, like, shit on one another is kind of part of what guys do. I would assume girls do it, too, but I'm not around during that part, in all honesty. But at least for guys, we like to shit on one another about all the stupid shit or all the shit in general. Um, being called weak is a very common phrase known in uh, any rough housing. Even if, like, you got, like, a broken nose yeah. or a broken bone. Oh, you're just being weak. Very common. Yeah. Especially yeah, older siblings that are brothers. See, that might be the case with, like, you and Hanson. Yeah. But it really isn't the case with me and Oscar. That's true. Also, because between the two of us, I am more so the, <laughs> the roughhouse jock type. Not saying that I am. I'm saying relative to Arm is him. a teddy bear. Arm is oh, a very much so. Arm is a fucking teddy bear. Very much so. But relative to my brother. Size-wise, he's a big boy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. He's not. also fair. He's well. You go into the gym, right? He's all muscle. I, mean, I always not not particularly. No. Oh. Um, I I mean, I, it's not like I wasn't going to the gym for the past two years. <laughs> I well, just have been going a bit more. True. I'm like me. I haven't gone to the gym for two years, and it is now going to the gym. Sir, but you have less need of it than I do. <laughs> yeah. Yes and no. We just gotta, we have different goals. Opposite directions, literally. Very. That's, I wouldn't say opposite directions. I mean, you're trying to put on weight, right? Yes. Yeah, I mean, I'm not ardently trying to lose it. I'm just trying to maintain, you know, some standard of health. Alright, fair enough. I tried the lose weight game, man. It, it led to some dark places. Well, glad you're not there anymore. We yeah. all are. We all are. But, yeah, no, the gym, especially like when you're worried about weight, like, the gym can be fucking dangerous. Yeah. Just for just immensely. It can be. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I anyway. Think, I think Holt lost some pounds here on the seat yeah. on the boat ride. Let's put it that way. Yeah, um, Spangle keeps on giving him shit. Oh, I love it. <laughs> Spangle does not let up at all. Um, another, another small thing, too, is uh, Evelyn and Will kind of get closer again. As they're back yeah. in the adventure mode, and like they become close in terms, because if you all recall, at the end of their coming back from Scandia, Evelyn stayed in the castle, with obviously, and then um, Will went and continued his training instead of taking the position at the castle, continues training um, in Redmont with uh, Halt. So they had been apart for some time before this trip occurred again, um, and like I was mentioned in the beginning of this book, this book actually takes place, if y'all don't recall, it takes place before uh, five and six, but it's still, it's right before, so it's still five years later than four. Uh, yes. So there still had been some time between when they didn't get to see each other as much, or, you know, they only got to see each other at events. Uh, so it's, you know, for them to be back in this position brings back the old memories of almost five years ago when they were trapped and having to escape from Scandia. Uh, chapter 13, uh, Holt holds his own. I, I love Holt's response, like his way of getting back at, uh, at the Scandians. Because <laughs> he basically, like, this Fengal keeps on offering him food yeah. to call his bluff for his seasickness, and Holt goes after him and starts drinking all of his favorite ale. Yep. <laughs> and eats all of their food, drinks yep. all of their ale. 
And I love Halt's like retort to the shit the Scandians are giving him. Halt is very good at what he does in terms of like balancing things, but also like making sure he's not made a fool of at all at the same time. Which it's a hard skill to do. Let's be honest here, you know, because a lot of times people go overboard. But I don't think he does. I think he makes he toes the line. Don't get me wrong. But he also has fun with it, and everyone sees it. Yeah, and he makes Fengle back down. Oh yeah, <laughs> which is the main point of it. Yeah. Um. Going to chapter 14, I put this note, and I don't know why I put this note. I believe it's when Will is kind of doubting himself about uh, realizing that this yeah. might be his last thing is graduation, right? Um, and watching and seeing Holt do everything. Um, I know growing up, personally, and I feel like most people do, you know, have someone that they believe can just do anything and everything. They're idol, right? They're superhero, whatever you put them. I know mine was, I, we talked about it earlier, but mine was my older brother. Um, when I was growing up, I thought he was invincible. He got away. He could do anything and everything. You know, he was always on the go, enjoying life. He never seemed down. So like, it just seemed that he was invincible. And I know that personally for me, that was who I always looked up to. I was like, oh, I want to be able to do that. I want to be able to be that person, right? Um, yeah. But we have this self-doubt, which can be very troubling. and It can be a really big struggle sometimes for a lot of people. I think especially with um, with Halt's role also as like a surrogate father with Will, it, it makes that even more so. Like Halt is is not only this legendary figure, not only his mentor, but also essentially his his dad. Right. Um. And so yeah, Will is very realistically like struggling a lot with that, and we get you know in the the note uh, of this book um, being before six and or before five and six. We get some of Will's doubts uh, in 5 and 6 when he's first on his own, but not as much. And so this is going back and filling in the gaps, um, not just uh, plot-wise, but also with Will's uh, character development. Right. Um, and I particularly like the... Uh, I, I, I love the conversation he has with Gillen. Uh, when Gillen sort of acts as an intermediary as well, because also Hulk can't really reassure that for Will. You know? Right. Like, Halt being this figure in Will's eyes can't... It's one of the few things he can't do is fully make Will believe that he will be his own separate thing. So, Gillen being the other apprentice, and another arguably also legendary figure as well, um, sort of acts as that, that stand in that intermediary and that um, empathetic figure is... Awesome, and I, I love the conversation they have in fourteen. No, I think it's again like he was saying. Gillen comes in; it is such a great friend. He is that he is the exact person that we want him to be in this situation, and the exact person Will needs to be needs to have in this situation. Um, because, as Armin was saying, it's really hard, especially if you watch someone do things over and over again. Having them come to you and say, "Oh, yeah, you can also do it." Because you see them, yeah. Yeah, but you might not, you might have never seen them fail either, and so now you have, especially if they're your mentor or you know, in this it's almost a surrogate father to Will. It's it's almost the thing of I don't want to let you down. I want you to be proud of me, right? And so that's even a harder weight to hold than just can I succeed or not. I feel like a lot of times 
Um, I know, again, another personal thing about me, when I was in Boy Scouts, I always looked up to like, the older Scouts and stuff like that and wanted to succeed and be able to do what they did and everything. Not that they didn't struggle, but it always seemed that they could, you know, solve problems that we had on their like on the go and everything like that. And so for me, watching them, I, I've and then seeing that go on and then it came my time to be the older scout. It it can be kind of a big weight to be put on, which Will is feeling here in terms of he's about to have to run his own feet and do everything without the guidance and out the reliable, hey, you know, just nudge and look over and say, hey, is this correct or is this what I'm supposed to do? Um, and that's the way it is. And I think Gillen here comes in and saves the day of just being like, look, fuck-ups are going to happen. It's not that Holt never fucked up. It's just that he is so legendary in his actions that he that you know of. And then he also reassure him, reassures him that, yeah, he too has fucked up even though he also seems like someone who doesn't fuck up. I think it's definitely, you touched on this a, a bit earlier, um, is that having that person, or, or having that uh, individual that shows you that you can do something, is incredibly important. And that's sort of why uh, this representation, you see this push for representation in, in modern um culture as well is so important um, because basically seeing somebody that shows you that you and someone like you can do it, can, can do something, can do X, Y, or Z is so important as a kid. Um, yeah. And seeing that somebody that looks like you or somebody that acts like you or somebody that thinks like you, someone that you identify with, like can do it, like can do um, anything. Uh, is so important and having Gillen around as that other apprentice or, uh, or old apprentice obviously uh, that Will can relate to and be like you know you had to step out of Halt's shadow once how can I do it like it's uh, incredibly important I feel like that goes for a lot of people in life and a lot of things in life too whatever you're doing right it could be the simplest of oh, yeah. know, just stepping into a management position at the work or you know, even the simple of, you know, you if I use restaurant terms because that's what I know the best. You're shadowing someone for serving and now you're let free, right? It's a simplicity. And the greatest thing is if you can accept what I've learned, if you can accept that you're going to make mistakes, yeah. that's the, that makes it all 10 times easier. Whereas if you constantly go in, which in this situation, and they have a lot more to deal with than, you know, simple, oh, I gave you Diet Coke. Instead a of lot higher stakes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, but like my point is, is if you can understand that you will make mistakes, and the biggest thing too is also realize that they are still there to help you if you do mess up. It's not that they're not there anymore. Like, yes, he's not physically right there, you know, at the fief when you know he goes and handles whatever. But it's not that he can't send him a letter, you know, and try to get advice or something. Yeah. Uh, well, that's also like the best, the best workplaces and the best communities have people that will still help you learn. Oh, yeah. That will still like teach you, still like show you how to do things. And, um, and that is, I mean, like, like I said, the, the best communities are, are formed out of that because nobody knows, like, that's, as I've gotten older and especially started going into jobs, uh, particularly, particularly my summer job with, with, uh, with housing. Um, biggest lessons that nobody knows what the fuck they're doing. 
they they only know what has happened, how they've responded to it, what has happened, how other people have responded to it. Nobody knows what they're doing. No. <laughs> like, not, not fully. And, and in every new situation, the people that act like they know what they're doing and don't are the most foolish. Yep. Um, but that was the, uh, the subject. One of the best speeches was at, uh, Oscar's graduation. Uh, I think I've, I might have brought this up on the podcast before, but the guy who gave it was talking about fault tolerance in terms of, uh, computing. So basically, how many errors a, uh, computational system or a coding, uh, a line of coding, how many errors and how many glitches it can handle until it crashes or until it stops working. So obviously the more fault tolerant the system is, the more uh, useful it'll be. Because it can handle more factors, it can handle more variables, and it can handle more things going wrong. Um, and then he related it to uh, more philosophically being fault tolerant of your own. Slash, uh, essentially how many mistakes or how many faults you can handle um, until you break down as well. And so being more like tolerant of those uh, in yourself and in, and in your work can be much more fulfilling because the expectation to be perfect is, is ruinous. Uh, and yeah. Life with Chip and Armin. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> Moving on. Kidding. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm kidding. Yeah, yeah. 15, 16, 17, they kind of all kind of like mumble jumble together. So if I kind of bounce around, that's why. But we land ashore, right? Uh, we're getting to the point where Evelyn is truly going to be put to the test of being the princess. Uh, yes. She's told to be very pompous and everything, which is, I think, is kind of funny. Um, but she does great at it. Uh, so when they land ashore, the. Aridi, already come and they just talk to the Scandians, you know, uh, Spangle tries to talk to him and then fails because he's not the greatest negotiator. And I don't think any Scandian is, but Holt comes in, steps in, and saves the day about, yeah, you know, just being what the situation is, what's going on. Um, he's very good, and this is a lot of negotiating, a lot of talking. He's very good at making sure the situation doesn't get out of hand. But it's not out of, but your control is not lost either. Um, which I think is also a very good skill he has learned to do. I think that, you know, the Rides are complete dicks in terms of just being like, you guys are welcome, but we don't care about the other people. Like, we don't want them here also. Like, he allows the princess to come, they get a place, he allows Holt to be there, you know, the Rangers and Spangle. But all the other ones, he's like, nope, you can fucking stand the ship. Which, it would at least put it, like, I get that we read on and they say, yeah, we would want to stay with the ship anyway. Because we don't want to deal with you people. But it would at least been a nice thing to right? Up to and have lodging and housing and food and stuff. But no. Um, and I understand that in this situation, it's supposed to be very political um, and diplomatic in a sense. And so, I would believe that they at least want to show a little bit more grace because I feel like that would help them in the back end of getting the ransom that they want. Fair. I think it would, but maybe I'm wrong. I have never held this anyone. Definitely it's just fair. <laughs> so I would not know. I adore the verbal gymnastics that Flanagan puts them through. It's more so in like 16 and 17 than just in 15. 17, yeah. But I 
love, I absolutely love all of the little intricacies and the little power plays that he like acknowledges and writes in so smoothly into the dialogue. Like characters' reactions when they realize a different like what somebody's pushing for and when they realize like what they're doing, it's just it's so intricately detailed and it flows so well. Like I just I love the conversations in these chapters. I did too. Uh, and I love the not just the dialogue itself, but the thought process behind each each thing. Like it's sixteen, right? Uh, there's a situation where Evelyn's requested or uh, told to do something uh, instead of asked if she would like to, uh, and the simple of just being told what to do, she she clicks. And a lot of times, because we don't see the side of her, we would think that she would just do it. Because she's like, yeah, sure, whatever, doesn't think much about it. But understanding that the situation she's in and the role she needs to play, instead of being willing to do things that are quote-unquote demanded of her, she waits until that she is asked politely if that is something she would prefer to do. And it's just little, it's little things like that that help build these each individual interactions between each of the characters. And to show Flanagan's thought process of making sure that everything that needs to be thought of is thought of is pulled out and brought up. So I like yeah. like the behind the scene thought process behind each one. And and the dialogue on top just makes it even better. Yeah, this is where a third person omniscient works very well. It doesn't get too tied up with because uh, that's one of the problems with, with a lot of writers uh, and trying to write omniscient narratives is that they get so caught up in every tiny little thing. Um every tiny little detail about every intricate thought, and then the characters come off as like knowing everything about everything. Flanagan balances this so well, uh, especially when he ties in Salithans, um, there's Salithans, um, like uh, his own thoughts when he's like sizing up Horus, or uh, it would, and Horus is in turn when he's sizing up Salithans. Yeah. Um, oh, it's so, it's just fantastic. Like, oh yeah, that guy uh, has a sword. I understand that shit. <laughs> I get why. He yeah, I don't. Well, he goes. Um, yeah, the specific one is. Uh, let's see. Um, Salithan saw the, the broad shoulders, the tapered hip, the balanced stride, and the straight sword that hangs at his belt. He's like, this one I get. Yep. This one yep. is a dangerous enemy. And Horus takes in the movement, the curved sword, and does the same thing. Yep. Yeah, he's like, um, this yeah. knows what the fuck is going on. That's good. I always love it. When you can tell what type of person somebody is, like, I know it leads to, like, you know, judgments and stereotypes and all that, but, like, there are several situations, uh, in particular where, like, you can just tell by some, like, the way somebody walks, the way they hold something, like, or, um, even just, like, instinctually, like, just, like, their expression, their eyes. Like, you can, you can tell what type of person they are. Oh, yeah. Um, a lot of people can be very expressive from their facial, facial points, too. And yeah. just everything that they're doing. Sorry, Betty is climbing up in my chair. <laughs> Betty, you can't do that. Get down. I get, I get it. Yeah, just no. take a walk after. Oh, no, but she loves you. I know she loves you. Uh, but yeah, so as you were saying, all these little inside things and the sizing up even, the talks and the conversation, the dialogue, it flows, as Armin said, very smoothly. It flows very well and is not overdone. Um, I know personally whenever I've written or try to write or even think about things because I do it just from thinking, not even writing. I overthink everything. I'm like, well, what about this? What about that? How could this work? How could that happen? Right? It it just happens. I just do it. Um, I don't mean to, but I just do it. 
Um, and I think a lot of people do, right? And I don't think it's, you know, just me, but a lot of times in these situations as we're reading and we're trying to understand the situation and the setting we're in, I feel like I get lost a lot of times, especially without the, I don't know what you call them, omniscient. Is that the thought process? Is that what those are? Well, yeah, the, that's the, narr- the narrator um, expressing multiple different characters, if not all characters, thoughts okay. and feelings. So I feel like those are, are lacking a lot, at least when I read some. I feel like those can be lacking or they're overdone. And I'm like, okay, I don't really care anymore yeah. about what you're thinking. I just want to get to the point. And I think Flanagan does a yeah. great job here of making sure I, at least as a reader, understand what each side, because we have an almost retrospect you know, six different sides. Well, five different sides, right? We have the RD, we yeah. have, you know, Horace, we have the Rangers, we have Svangle, we have the Scandians. So, and Cassandra, there's six. Um, and so it's all those different point of views that we're all trying to grasp in this setting, but it's not overbearing. You know, I feel like he yeah. could have wrote and written three pages of this alone of trying to describe how everyone's sizing everyone up. But he makes it quick, yeah. condensed, I see, and he lists the quick things. He just lists them in a very flowing manner. I think that's the right way to put that. Uh, and then just tells exactly what the person thinks about it, right? It's just, bing, bing, bing. I understand that. Bing, bing, bing. I don't get the fuck why you have a long, bended fucking piece of wood with a string attached to it. You know, like, it just, it just it makes sense, right? And so I think that's really yeah. how, he, how he does that, personally. Absolutely. No, it, it's... Flanagan, we, we've talked about this a lot, but Flanagan is a masterclass in... Um, brevity, especially um, as like writing as an omniscient narrator, like just oh, it's so good. Um, through sixteen, this is sort of covering the the structure through fifteen through seventeen. Um, you know, Rangers. There's some reference to the Rangers' addiction to coffee. Yep. Um, and how they already uh, invented it, uh, according to Hall. Um, and. Uh, by 17, they are on their way to meet the Wakir. Yes. Um, and also, before we get there, uh, Holt does prepare, or he comes prepared, always be prepared, scout motto. Um, always be prepared with the cloaks. Uh, Crowley had made sure to have those made for them, so it's the same um, coloring for camouflage style. It's the same style. The coloring's obviously different, so it fits the uh, scenery that they're in. Um, just want to throw that in there because I think that's also a valuable point because I don't think he would have thrown that in there or put that in there if there wasn't a reason for them to have it. If that's if that makes sense, so I just yeah. want to make sure I put that in there because I think that's a key element to what could happen and breaking the promise of making sure everyone doesn't get hurt. Seventeen though. As we're going, yeah. As we're going through seventeen, uh, they enter the Wakir's chambers. I love, once again, there's even more allusions to the sort of negotiating game that Salethan's playing, because uh, like, oh, you know, he says, I shall inform his excellence, says Salethan. This time, Halt was sure he saw the slightest trace of a smile in the dark face before the tall warrior walked away. Yep. Like, because, and just like, little hints like that, little reactions, like, you can tell Salethan is enjoying the fuck out of this. Like, he's <laughs> having a great time with the negotiations oh, and, yeah. like, the fashion trees and just little minute things. Uh, and uh, as we go up to uh, the Wakir... Um, that fuck, dog. That's what I put. I said he is a... Par- apparently, this is my notes. Apparently, the Wakir is a fat fuck. That was my note. <laughs> I, don't think it was, I don't think it was that bad. I think he was, he was short and fat, yeah. That's um, fat fuck is what I said. 
Fair enough. Um, but they start, uh, they start the negotiations. Uh, Evelyn corrects him on, a t- on her title. Yep. Um, and they discuss the ransom. There's some shifty stuff going on. Yes. Um, yeah, they go back and forth. Yep. Um, and finally, okay. he caves. I'm not going to say I knew it. I'm not saying that because I didn't say okay. I did. I'm not saying I did. I, w- I would have accepted an accurate prediction if a prediction had been made. Yep, that's fair. But I didn't make one. But I also kind of like... What is it? Seafuel? How do you say the dude's name? Already? Not the... Talithan. Talithan. I'm not... He he seemed too good at doing everything to mm. not be a second... At least a right-hand man, right? And... Yep. And for instance, and I get it's not always the case. I get it's not always the case. But I feel like nine times out of ten, a right-hand man is only as good, if not or just as good, if not maybe slightly better, than the one who's actually in charge, right? Yeah. So when this fat fuck came out, <laughs> and ah. the shady stuff was happening, nothing was occurring right, a party was thinking at that moment, like, I'm not sure if this dude's for real. Now, I did not, here's the thing, I will say this, I didn't think he was, uh, I didn't think Salethan was the Wakir. Mm. I just didn't think the fat fuck was the Wakir. And the reason I'd say that also is because they also just said he was, like, gone, right? Like, they said they can't meet him because he was not around. I'm like, you're gonna tell me you were able to go get him and come back within the span of one evening? I find there. that hard to. I mean, he does. He he does live in a town, like okay, it yeah, is like a major. Break, it is a major like not, administrative town. I thought like the way it made it sound. I thought he was like out of town. Like I thought he was like on like oh like, no no on, like a hunt or something. That's what I thought. Okay, that no, it was mostly like, it was like, like, like his schedule. Like yeah. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, so I'm not saying I knew it was sleeping, but I'm not saying I didn't believe that the fat fuck was the lucky. But very fair. We did get to it, right? We learned that Salithan is the actual Wakir. Which we could just be wrong dice again. Maybe he's not. Um, but well, He does admit the game is up. But then at the end of 17, the real negotiating starts. Yes. Yes. And we don't even get to know it. And that kind of annoyed me because I really wanted to know it. And I was like, fuck, I can't read on. But that's okay. Be- sure. Very fair. That's okay. <laughs> And it's been three weeks, guys. I know it's both of our faults for it's been this long, but it's been three weeks, and I've been waiting for this moment so I can figure out what the fuck the negotiating is going to be. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. I can be the next section afterwards. Uh, just give it to me here on the podcast. What is it? 18 through? Um, you can do either a really short one or a much longer one. Good call, man. I know. I'm about to take you outside, Betty. Guys, Betty's just like really, really attention whore today, guys. I'm not going to lie. You should just go outside. Alright, uh, we can do through 24. Alright, 18 through 24. You guys get that? Good, because I might not... Yeah, 18, 18 through 24. Cool. I mean, I could go could go longer. Ah, uh, no, how about this? How about this? We'll, we'll do 18, 18 through 25. 25. Correction, guys. 25. Yes. You stuck like around this long enough pages. to hear our page? Yeah. There we go. <laughs> Yeah, we'll go through 25. Oh, yeah, so that, that ends our section here, guys. Um, 
this doesn't feel very action-packed. I get, like, Eric... Yeah, like, it was a pretty light one. Just saying this book so far, like, I feel like each book, within, like, the first hundred pages, we've had something go on. Personally. Fair. So like, this just doesn't seem like super action-heavy yet. Obviously, we got more to read. And it's also a little bit bigger than the other books, too. So I, I will put that, right? It's, it seems yes. a little bit bigger. Uh, so, but, yeah. We're going to get some down to uh, some real negotiating here. Um, and a part of me wonders, really big here, um, and I really hope, I really hope this, really hope this isn't the case. I, I really hope that we let Evelyn actually do everything. There's a lot of times, well, not a lot of times, but I would feel that, especially with Hulk there, Hulk could easily step in, right, and make sure negotiating yeah. is is appropriate. It's uh, actually, you know, logical, and you know, nothing's being you're not being you know fucked over in any sense, right? But I really hope Evelyn's the one who actually like makes the deal, agrees to it, negotiates fully to make sure that they're not screwed over personally. Um, the reason I say yeah. just because like I think she could do it and she would do great at it. So I just want to see it all happen. And I think it would be really cool for her to go back and everyone would be like, oh yeah, we didn't do actually anything. Your daughter, to Duncan, right? Your daughter actually is very capable of doing the job. Like you need to trust her more with these things too. Or like be okay. Yeah. You know, like I think that would be cool too. But again, that goes back to the other stuff that we're talking about with Will and uh, you know leaving the apprenticeship of Holt. It's okay to fuck up because if you don't fuck up, I mean, I feel, I think everyone says, I know it's a very cliche thing to say, you know, if you can learn from your mistakes or learning from your mistakes, it's a great thing, right? Um, yeah. I know my old man would always say, don't just learn from your mistakes, but if you can learn from other people's mistakes before you even make them, that's even bigger Absolutely. better, right? So, Absolutely, yeah. You know, Armin's had a lot of time watch his brother and me fuck up and red fuck up enough to hopefully not make as too many mistakes as we did or at least not the same ones uh but who knows that'll be a mystery to all of us and only armin will know i think especially when i was younger yeah i watched y'all like hawks and ardently didn't do the shit that y'all did but <laughs> i would say i honestly possibly learned too oh my god I'd say I possibly learned too much from y'all's mistakes and wasn't able to make my own until I got older. That's true. That's fair. That's fair. We also... There's value in both. Yeah. Yeah, there's value. Also, y'all didn't fuck up that much either. I'm glad you think so. I'm not saying you didn't. Just saying, like, what, like, you know, egregious. That we were good at hiding everything that was outrageous. <laughs> or we just didn't get caught. That was a big thing. We were actually pretty good at not getting caught. Most of it, I'd say ninety to ninety-five percent of it was just y'all not getting caught. Yeah, that's that true. doesn't mean I didn't know y'all did it, but yeah, like... that's true. <laughs> but you still knew it was wrong. Like that's the thing, though. Like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But all right, I know Armin has. Hey, all of us were all of us were pretty good at, at squeaking by. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Look, we got caught. It was pretty big. <laughs> Oh uh, yeah, that's that's, <laughs> that's the thing. thing. No, we, we would squeak by, thing. but if we got caught, it was bad. If it was too big for us to not squeak by on, then yeah, that that, that would indicate, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and then our parents would watch us like a hawk. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, I know Armor has to get the dinner for work for work tonight, so we're gonna yes. let him go. Uh, thank you guys for joining again. Thank you so much for uh, 
waiting. Uh, I know it's been a few weeks. Uh, yes. That's fine. Uh, but we should be able to have next week's open uh, available also. He'll be back in town, so we should be even doing that. Uh, then we'll probably take the week off for Christmas, and then we'll be back for the new year. Uh, we actually might take two weeks off just because of Christmas and New Year's. We might do a holiday special. We'll see. Uh, stay tuned. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm not saying that we forgot about Murtag, but it's definitely going to be on the back burner for some time. I think we're going to try and get through the series of Arrangers Apprentice. Yes. Then jump back to Murtag probably, and then continue on to a new series. We'll do like an interim type of deal. We'll do like a couple episodes for Murtag. Yeah. As we're deciding what our next uh, ep- uh, series should be. Uh, but that's much farther down the road as we're in book seven of the ten that we're going to read for this series. Uh, Arm, any last words, buddy? Anything else you want to say? Uh, no. Just as always, thank you so much for dropping in, spending some time with us. Thank you for listening. Um, and for your patience for the three-week hiatus. Uh, aside from that, um, we, as always, greatly appreciate y'all's support. And take care, y'all. That's a wrap. Thank you for listening to A Two Dudes in a Book Podcast. Creators are Chip and Armin, and our music is done by Oscar Barbeta. Thank you, and have a great day.